The Guardian. Media Talk is brought to you by the Marketing Agencies Association's Best Awards. To celebrate British marketing and advertising excellence, head to guardian.co.uk slash bestawards. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk. Coming up this week, it's all changed at Channel 4 as Julian Bellamy's out and BBC One controller Jay Hunt moves into the top job. We look forward to another round of TV executive musical chairs. Also in the podcast, Sir Michael throws himself to the lions as the BBC Trust's inaugural chairman announces he's stepping down. Plus, I've been saying for the last two years that this was the issue for me, that actually in terms of those timings, that was not something that was going to work for me. But in, in order to get the job of Controller 5 Live, you would have had to commit to a full move to Manchester. The commitment was to do the job, and that's what I'm absolutely committed to, is to doing the job in Salford and to taking the station there and establishing the station there, and that's my commitment. Five Live controller Adrian Van Claveren gets grilling from his own side about misleading his bosses over his commitment to move to Salford. And we look at the plans for an unprecedented tie-up between commercial radio and the Beeb. And what's more, it's for the kids. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, well, the Pope's official and controversial visit to Britain has begun, uh, so we've marked the occasion here on Media Talk by getting together a panel consisting of an erudite Jew and uh, someone whose religion is West Bromwich Albion uh, Football Club. Uh, no, it's not David Baddiel and Frank Skinner. Uh, probably the next best thing, though. Steve Ackerman is the managing director of something else, Britain's largest radio production company, also dabbling in digital in a pretty big way, too. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, and uh, I'm, I'm getting slightly nervous now. It's the second Jewish reference in, in the space uh, of two, many weeks. two pods. It's, so. it's, it's the obsession of the producer, nothing to do with me. Um, uh, and also, here's the Observer's media editor, James Robinson. Uh, how are you, uh, how's your training going for the... Oh, brilliant, well, thanks. Yeah, well, I, did, yeah. <laughs> I did 16 miles last week. Right. It was extremely painful. I was nearly sick. <laughs> but the part, you know, it's going well. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on track. I'm I wonder on whether uh, you see my sister is uh, running the New York Marathon as well. She's get, taking uh, it extremely seriously. We well, have to, Matthew. A, yeah, I guess you do. Uh, and uh, and our colleague in the office as well on the news desk is also doing it. But he was complaining that he hadn't lost any weight. I've lost half a stone, actually. Well, that's pretty good. So. Excellent. And it shows as well. Um, uh, there's plenty of radio and a, a, a newspaper chat to come to, but this week we're starting with television. Media talk from guardian.co.uk. I've got nothing to say. You can ask me any way you want. I'm not speculating on what I may or may not do. Well, those aren't my words. Uh, not even those of George Michael as begins his eight-week spell behind bars. No, that was BBC One controller Jay Hunt just a fortnight ago at the Edinburgh Television Festival when she was responding to speculation that she was on her way to fill the vacant chief creative officer role at Channel 4. Well, lo and behold, this week Channel 4 confirmed Hunt and her wardrobe of tight red dresses will be taking up residence to Horse Free Road the new year it means poor old Julian Bellamy, the head of Channel 4 who'd been holding the fort for nearly a year, will leave the broadcaster, while Hunt will be temporarily replaced at the BBC by uh, Jaina Bennett, currently the BBC's Director of Vision. Uh, James Robinson, uh, I mean, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. No, it's this. been on the cards. In fact, when I was doing my research, my extensive research for, before the show, I, I noticed that uh, Jay Hunt had also said, uh, before she left for BBC One, that she had categorically not applied for the controller of BBC One She did job. say that. She did say that. So she's got form, she's got form. But no surprise, well, no surprise. This is the sort of... Uh, Mark Thompson said this Famously. when he, when he was Famous. leaving. This is the Mark Thompson defence, as it's yeah. become known. Um, because even though she hadn't filled in the application form, she'd clearly been approached. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So that's become... Exactly, that's become a, a form of word you can use on these occasions. But no surprise. I mean, I think she'll be missed at the BBC. She didn't have much time to make her mark, actually. She wasn't right. there for long enough. But she did... 
inherit a, a, a channel in decent shape and she was sort of an arch populist yeah. which I think is good for the BBC and ashamedly populist Is it good for Channel 4 though? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think so because I think you know, Channel Four is very different from it was from where it was a year ago. Where a year ago it was still eighteen months ago, it was still looking for possibly public money. If you want public money, you have to change the the nature of your channel. You know, you have to produce, you have to go more public service broadcasting, arguably, which they tried, uh, to, do. Which they tried to do. I think now she's the right person at the right time for Channel Four. They don't have to go for public money. They're going to survive on, the, by, on their own uh, means. And I think that means they can create... You know, they're looking for a blockbuster, obviously, post-Big Brother and so on. I think, I think she's a good appointment. Uh, which means, Steve Ackerman, that I guess that she'll, she'll be able to build a channel in, in her own image or in, in the image that she wants, rather than being constrained by some sort of strategy that's pushing you in a certain direction. I don't think that's, that's right, actually, Matt, because uh, if you look at what David Abraham has been saying... And, and what he's trying to implement, the whole idea of combining commissioners in terms of online and TV commissioners right. into, one, into one role. Channel 4 um, are very much going for a multi-platform strategy and probably amongst the terrestrial broadcasters for a number of years have been the leaders in that sense anyway. And yet they're bringing in someone here who's got no track record at all in terms of online content, no understanding in terms of how TV content might feature in an, in an online world. I'm not saying she, she hasn't got the ability to pick it up. She probably has. I don't know her. But in that sense, I think it's interesting. And, and, and maybe, maybe it shows a slight paucity in TV circles that you just have these same names moving chairs all the time at a yeah. time when actually terrestrial TV is facing many similar challenges to some other areas of the media in terms of having to slightly reinvent itself. I think well, that's Abraham's job, though, to, to tackle that issue. And I think if you've got a creative force at the heart of your channel, I mean, let's, you know, let's see whether Jay Hunt can rise to that role, then you, you, know, you create the content and then you have other geniuses who figure out how to format it for different platforms. I don't know. Mm. Um, it's interesting. It's a shame, I guess, for Bellamy, who by all accounts have been doing a... Good job. And the thing is with Bellamy is, is that he's not a sort of showman, not flashy, whereas Jay Hunt is, and she's a big name and it's a big poaching. Do you, do you think that Abrahams went for the, the headline rather than the, you know, somebody who would have really been quite good at the job? Well, he's clearly going to bring in someone he's got a lot of confidence in. And I suppose... Um, you know, there's a new broom across the board at Channel 4, isn't there, from, from the very top right. da- downwards. And in that sense... It continues that kind of Yeah, idea. exactly. It continues that momentum and it buys time in terms of trying to implement those changes. Um, she, uh, Jay Hunt had a bit of a, uh, what's been described as a frosty relationship with Mark Thompson at the BBC, James. Um, d- d- what do you think her leaving the, the B- BBC means? And what about this idea that Jane and Bennett's going to take over for, uh, for the interim? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, Jaina Bennett. I think it will be three months, won't it? I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I guess there's not much choices there. I mean, she, they could. I think she's going to do it in tandem with George Dixon, who's responsible for scheduling currently right. at BBC One. But um, I think it's true that Jay Hunt was fairly fed up with the scrutiny that goes with become, you know, with being a BBC executive. Right, and she you moves up, she'll, she'll you head up in the Daily Mail and all yeah. That sort of and thing. I mean, I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of them. And I think now, you know, she'll have half the budget, if that, at Channel Four, but sort of twice the creative freedom. It, you know, what, it, what does it say about the BBC? It says that, I think your point is absolutely right, Steve, you know, the, the paucity of talent is quite interesting. You know, the fact that they, that they get, Danny Cohen is the, the favourite to succeed Hunt at BBC One. You know, they just shuffle the pack and it does seem to be an ever, ever smaller pool of talent. I I think you could say that, Dan, that Danny Cohen is, is somebody who's worked, him, worked, worked his way up. It's not as if he's, you know, he, he is, you know, he's running a minor channel at the moment. So this would be a big 
promotion for him um, if he if he got it. I'm not entirely convinced that that, that the you know the that that holds necessarily true, Steve. Um, well, well D- Danny Cohen, I think, is is in many ways slightly the exception to the case in that he's come through a very very difficult period and seems now really to be um, you know winning a lot of accolades for what he's doing with BBC Three. And certainly going back to my point before, he certainly is someone who understands the sort of modern media landscape. And if you look at what he's tried to do with the BBC Three brand you can see that reflected so he he could well be he could well be interesting is it maybe too early for him i suppose is the only yeah, question yeah he's very young i mean i think he's great i'm, I'm a fan of danny's and mm. uh you know, although he's fair, you can you can sort of he's almost I'm not quite it's a bit unfair to say he's a self publicist, but he's you know he's well, definitely he, put himself yeah, in the frame, which is fair enough, which yeah, is fair enough. Absolutely. Well, it's um, the way to get it's the way to get that, these chances, isn't it? The uh, there's been a lot of comment on the blog. Um, uh, Sar14 said, "I wish her luck." Uh, talking about Jay Hunt, uh, but to be honest, BBC One on most nights has been the television equivalent of lukewarm tea on our screens. Um, Plankton said, "Good riddance." Shame she had to ruin Strictly Club Dancing before she left. Mac 58 said, "I can't too many pro- can't imagine too many program makers were crying into their." coffees this morning good news for the bbc this idea about um actually that 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 she ruined strictly come dancing it speaks to something about her which has been criticized critical about her that she's failed to manage talent um properly uh, there was the jonathan ross uh, he left arlene phillips she got rid of mm. uh, adrian charles and christine bleakley this but she's got a bit of well form, yeah i mean but she she decided to i think she decided to replace arlene with a younger right a younger model as it were which was which i disapprove of thoroughly at the same time i think she was actually right to take, let adrian charles and christine bleakley go because i think they they had reached the end of a of their um, partnership. Obviously, she'd left anyway, but before she left, I thought it was running out of steam. And I think that the daybreaks viewing figures probably demonstrate that's the case. So I think, you know, it isn't always a bad thing when you let go of stars necessarily. I think bearing in mind Strictly and Doctor Who, we've got to look at what are the old formats Channel 4 used to have 15 years ago that they might potentially yes. be able to reinvent or bring back. You know, is, is it the rise of blockbusters again? Yeah. It's <laughs> the blockbusters. Well, it wasn't Celebrity Channel blockbusters. It's Channel like ITV, Steve. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, uh, my money's on the tube. The tube, yes, the tube absolutely. Would be good. All those films with the red triangle, uh, possibly those. Max Headroom, or maybe that be Channel Five. Max Headroom might be on his way back. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that she is she's moved out of the BBC. Lots lots of people who move away from the BBC then come back in more senior positions. Mark Thompson famously left for Channel Four and came back as Director General. Steve, do you think that might be on, you know on the cards for her in in, um, in a few in a few years' time? You come back in a more senior position. I, I just think that that's that's absolutely impossible to say. I mean, again, the landscape is just shifting so quickly now. And obviously, in terms of the BBC, the political landscape is shifting really quickly. Who knows where we're going to be, I think. Yeah. I tell you, it's good, though, that when there, there is the next DG, there'll be plenty of female candidates because mm. it would be good to see the first yeah, female because, DG. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that Jane's qualified for that No, well, yet, well, But there know, will be the Caroline Thompson, Car- Jane herself, Jane Abbott herself. Yeah. And that's a good thing, you know. Yeah, good. All right, well, we'll, 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 uh, we'll start speculating about that quite soon then, shall we? Excellent. Uh, that's enough of that. So you can read all about uh, Jay Hunt and Channel 4 at mediaguardian.co.uk. I'm Matt Wells, and you're listening to Media Talk. Uh, and Jay Hunt's not the only big name to call time on their employment at the BBC this week. Um, Sir Michael Lyons has written to the Culture Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, announcing his intention to step down as chairman of the BBC Trust when his current four-year term ends in May 2011. James, I mean, this has been on the cards. This is this is almost more interesting than the Jay Hunt story because of the political dimension to this. Yeah, absolutely. It? Because uh, Jeremy Hunt and the government have had it in for the BBC Trust in general and Sir Michael Lyons in particular. Uh, without a doubt. I think they've decided that they don't like the trust, the whole 
policeman and cheerleader at the same time doesn't it doesn't really work you can't defend the bbc from its enemy external enemies and at the same time uh hold management to account that's the that's the main criticism and i think they've decided that getting rid of the trust would be too problematic at least now it would involve changing the law probably and a huge fight with the bbc so they just decided so, to so change the personnel yes. you know and, that's and, what you'd... and all they've done is um and and how, how they've done it they've just done it by a whispering campaign yeah they? exactly it's quite it's clever you know yeah. it's clever in a way um so lyon's obviously been told or got the message that he wouldn't be reappointed so he decided to go hmm. um you know and that's question is where that leaves the BBC. Licence fee negotiations coming up. They announced today they've decided to uh, freeze the freezing licence fee. For well, one, again, this, like, this is another result you know, of whispering from the government so saying, yeah. that, oh, well, we know it would be, it would be very, very welcomed if the BBC yeah. would, would recognise these straightened times. It's clever politics in a way. It's classic politics, you know. The, I'm surprised the BBC's formed for it, actually, in the sense that they're now... Uh, putting forward proposals well, they've, that they've, they've made, caved in they've, they? well, they've sort of caved in you know, they've got nothing left to negotiate with when they do come to negotiate the next licence fee settlement arguably when the Tories could come back for more who knows they may say you know you've, you've frozen the licence fee now we'd like a cut please so mm. I, I think, think it's I, I think with uh, Michael Lyons it, I, I'm not sure it was a whispering campaign I mean from the off you had Jeremy Hunt famously describing him as that former Labour councillor <laughs> I mean it's, it doesn't get much more overt than that uh, really I mean I wonder in terms of the licence fee whether whether that is a negotiating ploy, because obviously what the government's been, been definitely whispering is the BBC needs to have cuts. And so if the BBC comes forward now and says, we'll, we'll, we'll go for freezing... Um, maybe. You know, they may, volunteer maybe they're creating the, the sort of for, forcing the pace on that. Um, Jane Martinson, well, the, the, the official reason that Lyons gave was that he, uh, it was just all a bit too much for him and three, three, it wasn't three days a week which he'd been promised at the beginning and it was just too much work. Uh, Jane Martinson wrote, a long summer holiday convinced the six-year-old that the three-day-a-week three job was taking over his life. <laughs> Yeah, poor old Sir Michael. Um, will it leave Mark Thompson without any friends, do you think? Does it leave him? Well, I think it does, vulnerable? actually. Yeah, I think it does because I think Lyons had, you know, although he was doing the government's bidding on a few, you know, i.e. forcing more transparency upon the BBC management. It leaves Thompson out, out on a limb. He is out on a limb. And I think, um, and of course you have to, you, you know, don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but you have to... Perish the thought. Ex- ex- perish the thought. You'd, you'd, ha- you'd expect that the next person who's appointed to chair the trust will be someone who, you know, uh, thinks... You know, similar thoughts to the Tories has a similar mindset, a similar outlook on the world. Not you know necessarily a stooge, but someone who shares their world view. So, you know, I think it's going to be tough for the next twelve yeah. months. For the BBC. All right, um, uh, uh, let's move on to a few of the other stories that have been making the news this week. The phone hacking stories keeping our man Nick Davis busy. Still, Sienna Miller, Steve Coogan, Chris Tarrant are all the latest uh, victims, if you can put it that way, to have come forward. Um, how do you uh, how do you see this one? playing out steve um, i mean more celebs to come forward more more payouts perhaps from from the news of the world but but coulson uh, it's hard it's hard to say isn't it really well i mean it's funny with, with uh, coulson isn't it because because there's that there's that normal rule about whatever it is you know ha- for how many days you're in the headlines for and um, 11 you know, yeah, right 11 is the official rule, yeah. number okay so 11 days you know once that's happened um you know you're too much of the story and you're out and clearly we've way gone past that uh, that level and yet well, for, for, fortunately the pope's arrived so well, exactly yeah. and it, it, to, he, to save the day. He does seem to be riding it out, though, once you get celebrities involved and then you're waiting for court cases to pop up. Obviously, this is a story that, that, 
that could just keep resurfacing, and it's just getting more and more horrible for the news of the world all the time. That's the problem, isn't it? Because you've got this. There's, there's, there have been some brilliant revelations from Nick, um, but there's not really been one every day enough to keep it in the news. But then when there are and, uh, celebrities and, coming forward, it yes. does keep it in the news, and it will continue. Brian Paddock coming forward a lot, yeah. and it will continue to keep the, it in the news. The, I think it's brilliant. The New York Times thing, where they said it, it, it's like winning a golden ticket when you realise you've had your phone hacked by the news of the world. Yes, in it's the past. a good thing. There you go, loads million, of money, and, and you can you can be damn sure that there'll be a, a steady stream of coming people. The, people coming forward for the that o- reason. The other issue about celebrities coming forward and some of the celebrities who've come forward is that starts to take it readership wise into another realm as well. Because obviously, when you look at the coverage there's been of the news story, it's very much not really been in the news international press. There's been very little coverage Wonder in some, why. yeah, exactly, in some of the other papers, and it certainly hasn't been in the sphere of OK and Hello and all those. Well, suddenly, when you get celebrities mm. suddenly involved in court actions, where they can be snapped outside and all that sort of stuff yeah you've got a whole new layer of people who are starting to, and they're the people buying the news of the yeah, world so exactly. it's not a media war anymore that's it's right it's just concerned to the you know the chattering classes so-called it's 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 yeah. it sort of seeps into the public consciousness doesn't sure. it sure well, well the, uh, at the same time the news of the world has announced its uh, paywall plans very exciting uh, from october it'll cost you a pound a day or one pound 99 for four weeks access or one pound 19 for their ipad app um perhaps they'll use all the revenue to fund the uh, to fund all the payouts. Indeed. Um, uh, on to uh, magazines. Uh, Condé Nast, Managing Director Nicholas Coleridge, Managing Director of the UK, says that in 15 years' time, up to 40% of his magazine sales could be on the iPad. Uh, Wired and Vogue, uh, uh, separately, will be published digitally in December for £3.99 each, which is pretty much the same as the paper magazine. This is, this is quite interesting. The, uh, the iPad might, might be the, the thing for... The, the saviour of the, of, the, of the glossy magazines, who I, I think have struggled, Steve, to find an online, uh, you know, an internet desktop kind of application that that would, um, you know, that works for them. I think I think this is really interesting, and this is um, there's a very strong correlation between the magazines and, and the wider publishing world in terms of book book publishers. Um, I, I, and I speak with a sort of vested interest here because we're doing some iPad apps for for Transworld and some of the other publishers, and. Uh, what's very interesting with the mindset of both of those parties is I think they're able to look at the experience of the music industry and realise that with the music industry, the defensive approach that they took was, you know, was business suicide. And here they've got a sense of the iPad isn't something that's, that's widespread yet. It's still going to be a while until it is onto other devices that are similar. Are. So they've got a moment when they can experiment and play around and try and figure it out in the public sphere, which is a very unusual opportunity. So, so I think it's, it's actually fantastic that they're going for it, that, that magazine publishers who, who might be seen to be fairly traditional-minded thinking people actually are taking a fairly open-minded approach. Okay, uh, thanks for that. Um, let's go back to News Corporation for a minute, where uh, Rupert Murdoch is assembling a crack team uh, in New York. Um, James, what's he up to? Well, one, possibly two, uh, I was going to say publications, there, but of course it's not, is it? News devices for the iPad, supposedly. Uh, iPad only. Uh, digital newspaper, yeah. Which would, be, uh, which would be interesting. The thing that I don't quite understand is if, if you're going to do that, why not just do a brilliant, I'm sure there is an WSJ, Wall Street Journal, mm. iPad app already, but you, wouldn't you just leverage the WSJ brand in order to do that? And well, the same with the New York Post. If you're creating, I guess the reason for creating a new one is, you know, you start again, you start from scratch. There's no sort of editorial, you know, you know ways of doing things that, that, like there are established newspapers. So you, you, can, and you can start from scratch, yeah. which, is, which is quite appealing. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating idea. News, news on the internet. Who, whoever thought it would work? Well, um, will it pay? Of yeah, course. Yes, the, yes, the, yes. Other, the other present issue. Usual stuff. Uh, finally, a bit of television news. Uh, Jim Rosenthal's back. 
back, back, back to front Channel 5's football coverage. Now, I, I barely watch any football coverage, let alone Channel 5 football coverage, so you'll have to help me. Jim Rosenthal, I, be, I vaguely know. He's, he's the, he's the, he was always sort of number two on ITV, wasn't number he? Number two to Brian Moore, wasn't he? Yeah. Number two yeah. to Brian Moore. Yeah, he was good. I, I think he was quite good, actually. Really? Right. Well, I've got quite a bit of childhood memories, I suppose. But he looks a bit like the bald eagle out of Sesame Street. He, that's um, right. I, I, I know that. You know, I mean, he does feel it's not exactly the star sign we had in mind when Desmond bought Channel 5, let's, you know, to put it politely. Yeah, because uh, Colin Murray was the, 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 their uh, sort of young gun who did it before, and he's, he's left to go back to ma- uh, Match of the Day too. But um, so, but the, I suppose they've gone for De- – well, Desmond, I suppose, they've gone for he's, you know, people who they probably grew up with. Tried and tested. Tried and tested. That's, that's, what, that's what to do. Uh, okay. Oh, did anyone watch the start of Strictly this week? We talked about Strictly before. I didn't. I'm ashamed to admit. X Factor? I do watch X Factor. Not this weekend. If you come into the media talk studio, you have to have watched either. I've told you before. I I sit. I'm a grumpy old man. I sit in the other room when my kids and my wife are watching those shows. I I do watch X Factor, and I I enjoy it. I enjoy X Factor. Going well the series. Yeah, I think so. There's a, there's a fair, you know, there's a good quota of mental people. Yes, that always that. seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's some quite good performers as well. Thank you very much to uh, James and Steve. Uh, more on all these stories at mediaguardian.co.uk. Well, we've got one of the main players in UK radio uh, here in the pod, so it's only right that we finish this week with a roundup of what's been going on on the wireless. Um, we'll come to global radio and DAB switchover, which has been in the news this week in a moment. Uh, first, though, here's a clip of the Five Live controller Adrian Van Claveren being interviewed on his own station by Victoria Derbyshire. Why aren't you properly moving to Manchester when the station moves? Because, in essence, it's to do with family issues, it's to do with teenage children and education, and that, you know, as for so many people, is a very complicated issue, and you've got timings there that just don't work in terms of that particular move without having a very difficult impact on family. When did you change your mind? I've been saying for the last two, two years that this was the issue for me, that actually, in terms of those timings, that was not something that was going to work for me. But in, in order to get them. the job of Controller 5 Live, you would have had to commit to a full move to Manchester? The commitment was to do the job, and that's what I'm absolutely committed to, is to doing the job in Salford and to taking the station there and establishing the station there, and that's my commitment. But if you'd made it clear you weren't properly moving, you wouldn't have got the job. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I think, I think but some people case, didn't apply for the job because they couldn't well, make that full commitment. No, the commitment, the commitment that was asked for and the commitment I made was the commitment to doing the job and to doing the job that way, and that was the commitment that was asked for. So were you completely honest in your interview? I was completely honest at the time in the interview, yes. Did you give the impression that you were fully moving? I, I gave the complete honesty of what my commitment was to the station and to moving the station, and that, that was the case at, at the time of the interview. So you made it absolutely clear, I won't actually physically be moving, I'll be renting during the week. What was the case was that during that time of, of the move is that actually I was saying that in two years' time I'm in a difficult position with children and that there's clearly issues there in terms of how those timings work. That I've been saying constantly for the last two years that that was the case. That doesn't make sense, though. They wouldn't give the job to somebody who wasn't properly moving to Manchester. Well, no, I I think as Peter Salmon said, who clearly has has similar issues in terms of education and how that works, and subsequently appointed a director of BBC North. These are complicated issues. This is not about postcodes. What this is about is about establishing Salford as a broadcasting centre for the BBC and the quality of the programmes that we make from there. Is it hypocritical of you that you're insisting that your new head of news at Five Live lives within an hour of Manchester, but yet you don't have to? 
Well, I think there are different jobs and that different jobs require you know, different levels of involvement. You know, re- the reality is that my job is commissioning the station and scheduling the station, but it is not the day-to-day running of the news team 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are different roles there in terms of how those work, and that's the case for me. And so, therefore, the jobs work in different ways, I think. Uh, and if you thought that was an awkward listen, you should have seen it all unfurling on five live vision online. That was Victoria Derbyshire speaking to what sounded like an increasingly flustered Adrian Van Claveren. Um, Stephen Steve James, well, Steve, I mean, you're the radio man, fair dues. Uh, interviewing you, but your boss isn't, isn't easy. And she, I have to say, she didn't. She was ballsy, wasn't she? she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she didn't hold back. She didn't hold back at all. I mean, I, I, I mean that was, that was uh, rigorous journalism, uh, yeah. I think you Well, you she, would say. She, I have to say, she won, uh, she won the Nick Clark Award for Interviewer of the Year last year. She is a fantastic interviewer. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of her, her programme, but sometimes she really, really uh, uh, nails it. She did um, Natasha Campuch, actually, on a very different kind of interview uh, this week. Um, she was doing, Campuch was doing the rounds, and she did Jane Garvey on Women's Hour and Derbyshire on Five Live. Very different interviews, and I would say that Derbyshire got got the more out of it. Anyway, that's like, that's like by the by the by. Do you think this is an issue for for Van Clever and uh, James that he's not moving? Well, yeah, of course it is. I mean, how can you have the faith and goodwill of your staff who are making a diff- difficult move and starting a new era in the north if you are, you yourself are not prepared to move to the north? I mean, it stands to reason, doesn't it? Although I would say, uh, like others, I'm sure I went to and looked on the website, web- various websites to see how much one thousand nine hundred pounds per Canada month, which is the BBC's relocation grant, or rental uh, allowance would go in in salford Mm. and there is no property in salford that can be rented at that price. The, the most expensive one is one thousand four hundred and fifty. Oh, I see. That's a, that's a palatial <laughs> penthouse suite. So if his children could actually see the place they could have lived in, I think they might probably have. might change their mind and you know throw their dad the car keys and get him to drive to the M one. To be honest, <laughs> now, Steve six oh six. Of course, you should declare an interest in that. You you, you make programs for five, for five lives, so you're probably not going to slag them off. But will will, will that re- retain a North London postcode, or are you? Do, do you independents have to move as well? No, I, I, I've got to tell you, six oh six. We're, we're, we're way ahead of the game because we have our Saturday show. Uh, Robbie Savage is broadcasting from Derby or elsewhere in the country. And our Sunday show, which is Alan Green, he broadcasts from... Um, grounds. Yeah, from whichever ground he's at. Yeah. As for our production team, well, let's... Uh, I, the, the honest answer is actually I don't know. We just haven't had that conversation with Five Live yet. All oh, right. So. OK, well, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Um, uh, let's move on from Five Live to the commercial sector. Global Radio founder Ashley Tabor has called on the BBC to put uh, its money where its mouth is and invest in the DAB network to pave the way for digital switchover, which uh, has been pencilled in for 2015. Uh, Steve, Tabor reckons it'll cost up to £200 million to provide the infrastructure to strengthen the DAB be signal network across the UK and that cost should be the sole responsibility of the BBC do you think that that's a fair analysis I don't think it's it's fair necessarily that it should be the sole responsibility but obviously this this isn't a new message Andrew Harrison from Radio Centre has been saying the same thing for a while in terms of I think you could construct a pretty strong argument that the BBC should pick up the lion's share of that cost clearly this is a, a, a public service thing if you're going to force people to turn off their radios and buy a new radio um, then the BBC should probably be helping on the infrastructure of that. This is probably going to dominate the radio festival again, isn't it? Let's hope not. Let, <laughs> let, let's really hope not. Okay. Uh, we've got Tim Davey, uh, Director uh, of Audio at the BBC, coming on the show next week. He's running the radio festival or chairing the radio festival this year, so uh, we'll hear about what's going on at that. Uh, we're going to be there, obviously. Um, Tabor has also ruffled some feathers this week, um, announcing the rollout of the 
Capital Radio brand, uh, brand across eight regional stations. There's a Freudian slip, man. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. <laughs> yeah, all right. And we'll keep that in. Uh, there'll be local uh, morning and drive programmes, but the rest will be net- networked. And this is what he said. There are not 33 good mid-morning presenters in this country, and there are not another 33 good afternoon presenters. Well, he's probably right, isn't he? What do you, what do you think about uh, um, capitalising these local stations? Well, uh, on a personal level, I'm really sad because I grew up as a kid listening to Capital. I'm one of those those people where, you know, I was listening when Capital was in its heyday. But, but, when, but, when it was launched. Well, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, but I think the interesting thing about Capital, as opposed to, say, the heart rollout or the smooth rollout, is those brands are quite generic brands. Uh, capital, when you look at what is it, is well, its, its brand... Called. It's capital, because it's the capital exactly. of the Exactly. Its, its brand is London. And when capital has been at its height, when it's been at its best, even recently when they've done the big events at Wembley, it's all been about owning the city and the life of the city. Now they're moving it to a brand that's purely going to be competing on a music level to be hit music up against Radio 1. And I think the problem that draws in is is the wider issue for radio of failure to bring in enough younger listeners because there's other ways they can consume their music. And if you're going uh, to pursue a content play that is about playing more music, which is, which is in effect what Capital's going to be after breakfast time, um, then I think potentially you've got a slight struggle on your hands. And also, I mean, heart, you know, stands for a certain type of music, doesn't it? When you mm. say you think of heart, you think of easy listening, capital, sort of contemporary pop. I mean, it's not quite as strong a proposition, is it? So yeah. you need to just, they'll have to, they should just rebrand them, you know, second city, third city, <laughs> biggest city in the northeast. <laughs> okay. You know. okay. Uh, I can, and I can see why you're not uh, in charge of marketing and uh, brand, <laughs> brand development at uh, capital, uh, Global Radio. Um, now, w- w- what about this idea of a tie-up between com- the commercial radio and the BBC, Steve, in the area of the children? Children's Archive. Well, th- this, is re- this is really interesting. It's obviously just, just come about, and, and uh, I mean, for those who don't know, Fun Radio is fun, a... Fun Kids. Fun Kids, sorry, is, is a children's uh, orientated service on DAB. Um, it's been going for a while under different uh, ownership guises. And um, I think even, um, I'm pretty sure Caroline Thompson or, or someone pretty high up in the BBC has been quoted as saying, maybe that was a trick the BBC missed in not launching a kid's service now should the archive be be sort of opened up to to commercial players i think in this era again you've probably got to argue yes but does that then does that then lead us to a bigger issue that if you're going to open the kids archive why aren't you opening you know documentary archive for the british museum to use in exhibitions or for the or for the british museum to set up british museum you know fm um you know why you know where, where does why, that potentially stop yeah, yeah why okay. only children's all right uh, we'll leave that section there thank you very much uh, steve ackerman uh, that's it for another week before we go James and Steve, please um, tell us something that you've learnt uh, this week. And you have to make it broadcastable, right? Because last week, producer Ben had a, took a l- late-night call from one of our guests begging him to take out a story that would have caused, quote, a right shitstorm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll find out more after the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I learnt I that uh, – I saw Fraser Nelson this week from The Spectator. The Spectator. Yeah, just the Spectator. And he, he, he was telling me that when Charles Moore, Nelson's just uh, overseen a redesign of the magazine, when the last one was done in the 80s, Charles Moore, the editor, had reams of complaints because he introduced Stand First and he had letters from readers saying, we don't want you to tell us what's in the article before we've read it. Mm. Which I thought was quite, actually, when you think <laughs> about it, there's a certain logic in that. Yes. Steve? I learned that if I go around snapping up the names of loads of countries on Twitter, I might be able to make myself a few Bob.
because uh, I don't know if you saw about the, uh, the owner of At Israel. Yes. I, I, I know we're starting and ending on a sort of Jewish theme yes. here today, but, um, but the owner of, of At uh, I think he picked up 100 grand, didn't he? He picked up a vast amount of money, yes. Yeah. So, so, so what have you... Have you uh, what have you, what Guatemala. You Guatemala's mine, yeah. At, uh, yeah. Guatemala, excellent. Well, here's what I learned. It's the perils of uh, early morning radio, particularly when you're on BBC Radio Oxford. Alan, thank you. Here she is, there. You, you, know, you know you said about you'll be there when we wake up. Yeah. You weren't at the end of my bed at five o'clock this morning. I love you weren't there. All you have to do is flick my knob, well, flick the switch, and I will be oh there. Oh dear, that's it's not good. Flick my knob, yes. Thank you very much. Well, actually, that slightly reminds me of, um, well, I've been at uh, today at a memorial service for the former Scotsman editor, Alan Ruddock, um, who I'm afraid is responsible for um, me being where I am today. And uh, so you can blame him. And um, great service at St. Pride's, choir and fantastic form, all the rest of it, great and the good of British uh, journalism there. But I was reminded, and I'd forgotten this, that... Um, Alan Ruddock sent me, uh, when I was London correspondent of the Scotsman, to the Middle East for some, there was some, one of the mid-90s crises, and uh, I was nearest, because I was in London, and um, and I'm sure, and, he, and uh, his wife, his widow, reminded me that it was uh, solely for the reason that he could get the byline on the front page of the Scotsman, Matt Wells, in a man. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay, thank you very much. Steve Ackerman and James Robertson, you can post your feedback uh, on everything that you've heard on the blog. That's at guardian.co.uk slash media talk or follow me on Twitter I'm uh, at Matthew Wells uh, and a quick and uh, slightly teary goodbye to one of our most loyal listeners uh, although I'm sure he'll still be listening where he's going the lovely Michael Finnerty who came to London uh, from Montreal to become The Guardian's multimedia news editor 18 months ago is heading back to Canada to host CBC's Daybreak breakfast show there. Daybreak, you see, this is not, this is not a good mm. omen, is it, for ratings? Uh, what a treat it must be to uh, be waking up to Mike every morning. Uh, Media Talk is produced by Ben Green. Uh, I'm not going to make any further knob gags about that. Uh, I'm Matt Wells, uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.